The reading this morning is taken from James chapter 3, starting at verse 2. And if you want to follow it, it's on page 1214 in the few Bibles. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you that it is relevant for us today. And we pray that as we look at this passage, you will help us to not only understand it, but to apply these truths to our lives. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me start by um, stating the obvious. We have two ears on our head, but only one mouth. And we should use them proportionally. I suppose nobody would ask for two mouths. Most of us have more than enough problems with one. But when God made us in his image... He included the mouth and he included the tongue, giving man uniquely authority and creative ability. Now, animals are not capable of speech. For me, even before I became a Christian, that was very clear, well-established line of division between mankind and the rest of creation. And I've never heard any rational or sensible or convincing explanation of how an animal that could not speak could ever develop into an animal that could speak. And I believed when God gave us the ability to speak intelligently, discussing concepts and so on, it was part of what is included in that statement that God made man in his own image and in his own likeness. Now, God is known by what he says. There's that creative authority by which God says, let there be light, 
and there is light. Or there's that fatherly speech whereby God says to us, my child, I love you, you are my treasured possession. And because God has created us in his image, the power of speech is a power that all of us have without exception. And the immediate focus of this passage in James is to bring Christian believers to a place of maturity. Like Paul who explained that his teaching was to warn and teach everyone with all wisdom in order to present everyone mature in Christ. And in the same way, James' five chapters are pastoral preaching that with wisdom, with warning, would lead his readers to become spiritually responsible and spiritually reliable. So by the time we get to chapter 3 of James, he has already shown how spiritual maturity develops through our response to suffering in this world and how spiritual maturity is enhanced by our response to the word. And now spiritual maturity is evidenced by the use of our tongues. The mastery of it is one of the clearest marks of a true believer. And there is a difficulty, though, in taming our tongue. I don't, don't know if you've noticed that. But um, James issues a special ward, word of warning and counsel to those who aspire to be teachers, which actually is the first verse which was not read, but I think is actually quite relevant here. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with stricter, um, uh, greater strictness. Why would that be? Well, teachers have to be conscious of the weight and potential influence of what they say, because words lie at the basis of every teaching ministry, whether it's here in the pulpit, or whether it's in school, or whether it's with your uh, families. And an unreliable tongue is likely to provide a destructive disciple for those who are taught. So my encouragement to you every time you hear a message from this pulpit or a message on uh, a Zoom or whatever is check it out, test it, see if it's right. There's a lovely verse in Acts which talks about a group of people called the Bereans who when they had heard Paul preach, they went home and they searched the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. And my encouragement to you, even as a result of what I say today, is to go and search the scriptures and just check it out. Is this really what God says? That's an important, responsible uh, thing that we should do as believers. And James does not write as somebody who has already arrived in terms of using his tongue. He's conscious of his own shortcomings. So verse 2, as we started in our reading, for we all stumble in many ways. And perhaps he was remembering how once he was amongst those people who said of Jesus that he's out of his mind. That's what Mark tells us in Mark 3:21 that James was amongst that crowd who described Jesus as somebody who was out of his mind. Now, of course, James's words aren't applicable just to uh, teachers, but to everybody. If mastering the tongue 
is a sign of maturity, it is a sign of maturity for every single believer. And how we use our tongues provides clear evidence of where we actually are in our discipleship, where we are spiritually. Now, when I was a child, visiting the doctor often meant you had to stick out your tongue. Do you remember that? I don't know if it happens still. It hasn't happened to me for a long while. Um, But uh, the doctor seemed to be able to tell a great deal about my health by looking into my mouth. And I think that is a good spiritual reality too. Jesus said, it's out of the abundance of your heart the mouth will speak. So here, as a spiritual physician, James engages in a rigorous tongue analysis. And he teaches us that somebody who wants to be mature is able to harness his or her tongue and as a result of that, master the whole body. Now, the control of the tongue has both negative and positive aspects to it. It involves the ability to restrain the tongue by being silent. But it also means being able to control it with gracious speech when that is also appropriate. And speech and silence are together a mark of the mature. Yet having stated all that, James confesses that nobody but Jesus has succeeded in mastering the tongue. Our only hope is to pursue the self-discipline of trying to control the tongue because we are Christ's and we desire to become more like Jesus every day, don't we? But it is a long-running battle and we will be fighting our misuse of the tongue till the day we die. But it is important for a number of reasons. Firstly, firstly, there is a disproportionate power of the tongue. And James uses two examples. Well, actually three, but I'm going to just use two. The tongue uh, is like the bit in the mouth of a horse, he says. And that tiny bit controls this enormous power and energy of the horse. It's used to steer it and direct it. Secondly, the tongue is like a a rudder on a boat, uh, tiny in comparison to the size of the boat, and yet able to steer the boat through any storm. And the tongue's power, for good and for ill, is out of proportion to its size. The problem for all of us is that we don't realise how powerful the tongue is because we're so accustomed to its polluting influence. You know what it's like when, in a confined space, a smoker's breath cannot be disguised? So says James, the tongue projects the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, but like the smoker, so accustomed to the odour and the atmosphere in which they live, the person with polluted speech has little or no sense of the power of what they're saying. And no sense that they exhale bad breath every time they speak. As a counsellor, I have helped many over the years that have issues in their lives that have started by what somebody has said to them. Yet there is an encouraging side to this. The scripture teaches us that instincts and opinions which we express 
when we express our deepest desires, may produce helpful and pleasing fruit. Proverbs 15, verse 4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. Secondly, there is destruction that is caused by the tongue. And I'm reminded of the old movies of what was then called Cowboys and Indians. Do you remember those? And uh, there's only one line I ever recall a native Indian saying. But it was said so frequently that it stuck in my mind. And it's this, white man speaks with forked tongue. And James shares that perspective and has a more profound analysis that a forked tongue is connected to a forked heart. And such speech, he says, is the mark of a double-minded or forked man who is unstable in all his ways. That's James 1, verse 8. Now notice the power of James's words here. Don't try to dodge the blows, please. His words are intended to challenge and we must face up to it. It's not possible for all of us to misuse authority because not all of us are in positions of authority. But we all have tongues. And the tongue is both the most important gift that God has given us for witness, for strengthening, for encouraging, for singing, for expressing our devotion to Christ. And yet, at the same time, it's the most damaging instrument in any relationship. And we all know that the tongue can ruin fellowship. It can cause friction and bitterness. Indeed, words can be the instrument of violence. Jeremiah's enemies said, come, let's go and smite him with our tongues. In the mouth of genocidal killers, words can be every bit as deadly as a gun. In short, words can kill. Satan will use it to break up and corrupt Christian harmony. But remember, it's not Satan's tongue. He just uses ours. And some of the saddest breakups in British churches start with grumbling and complaining, usually against the minister, and it produces an undercurrent of satisfaction. To the point that 42% of Christian ministers in the US as of 2022 have considered leaving the ministry because of it. And the UK stats are not far behind. So this is serious business. So let's look a little bit more at the use and misuse of our tongues. Let's start with God's use of words. For that is a good guide for our speech. God never wastes words. He never utters an idle word or a meaningless word. And when he speaks, he always means what he says and says what he means. And those who study the scriptures know that God's use of words and their relationship with other words in a passage, the context of it, is of extreme importance. And so sometimes the tiny words, the ands, the nows, the buts, are the most important words in a verse. And I put two up there. One of, one, one of which is what Jesus said to his disciples. <clears throat> in this world you will have trouble, but... That's a, such an important word, isn't it? But, take heart, I have overcome the world. So with that in mind, 
every single word that we utter should convey the same reverence for words. Jesus taught this rather amazing uh, principle and uh, he said this, let your communication be yes, yes, no, no, for whatever is more than that comes from evil. Now that's not to say that we only use one word sentences. This is Jewish humour, like camels going through the eyes of a needle or holding a plank of wood in your eye while you try and get a speck of dust out of your neighbour's eye. No, the point is that we don't embellish the truth with exaggeration or white lies or unnecessary wordiness. Let me name a few other areas where we can misuse the tongue now. First, babbling. (laughs) One of the accusations that Jesus lays against the door of the hypocrites is their wordiness. He says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. And it's not the only time excessive words are frowned upon in Scripture. Proverbs 10 says, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says this, as a dream comes... When there are many cares, so the speech of a fool, when there are many words. A restless tongue reveals a restless heart. A person who can never keep quiet is not at rest. We probably all know what Shakespeare said, methinks the fellow doth protest too much. So let's be aware if we tend to speak too much. The second area that I want to focus on is coarse speaking or joking. Paul says in Ephesians, there must be no obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. I believe God has a sense of humour, and I'm sure you do too, but I don't believe he always laughs at the things that we laugh at or the things that we might say in fun. It doesn't take long, does it, for a joke-telling session to descend to the blue, the crude, the blasphemous, and we suddenly realise we're overstepping the mark. James 3 says, this passage we read, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? As followers of Jesus, we're called to encourage, we're called to give life by the words that we speak. And that same tongue should not be found giving discouragement or degradation. Laughing at ourselves, of course, is a great gift. Laughing at characters is great fun. But laughing at something that can never be other than serious, I would suggest, is not helpful. Many of us would enjoy the Vicar of Dibley or Rev. They were brilliant portrayals of caricatures in the ministry. They're good fun. But I find I can't laugh about anything that laughs about hell. Because laughter is very much a sign of agreement. And I don't know what you think, but I can't agree that hell is the subject for light-hearted fun. Or I can't laugh when somebody uh, is found guilty of child abuse, for instance. Or when somebody has a serious illness and we make a joke about it, 
and uh, I worked with the police for a number of years and I know the, the, um, the, the black humour that goes on uh, just to try and lighten the thing but it's pretty much near the mark uh, a lot of the time. The next area is gossip. Gossip has been disparagingly described as the occupational hazard of women but men gossip too. Leviticus 19, do not be a tale-bearer, a storyteller among your people. Proverbs 18, the words of a gossip are as wounds. They go down to a person's most inner parts. 1 Timothy, they are also gossips and busybodies saying things that they ought not to. 1 Peter 4, don't suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer, or as a gossip or busybody in other people's matters. Surprising, isn't it, to find busybody in that list? Not many believers are murderers and thieves, but we're probably all guilty of gossiping, being busybodies, meddling in other people's affairs. Interestingly, the word gossip comes from the old English word godship, and it was describing a person who was constantly, constantly talking about God. So how the English language has changed that word to talk about something that is unhelpful and unhealthy. Flattery. Everyone lies to his neighbour. Their flattering lips speak with deception. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. It's lovely to receive genuine gratitude and appreciation, but flattery is a twisted thing. Beware of the dangers of flattery, both in receiving it and giving it. Hasty words. Proverbs 29. Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now, in my desire to respond to texts and emails as soon as possible, I sometimes regret answering emails too soon. The hastiness meant I didn't properly think through. I didn't properly think hard enough about my reply and how to express my reply. And modern social media posts are every bit a use of the tongue as actual speech. Texts and emails can so easily be misunderstood. And when there's doubt about the mood of a text or an email that you receive, don't reply in, by social media, but speak in person. I know people who've broken up relationships by text or by email. It's terrible. That's a misuse 